I definitely need Peter's resolution, three books uh, read first. I've come out of the gate hot already for, from Christmas and uh, the gift money that I received. So, idea, Peter. <laughs> uh, well, good morning, everybody. My name is Pastor Nick. I'm the student ministries pastor here today, and I have the privilege of uh, leading us in God's word this morning. Before I head, go ahead and get started, I'd uh, love to just say a quick prayer. Father, I thank you again for this morning. And as we just sang an old song and a new song that resonate the same thing, that there is power in the name of Jesus. And as we look to our text today in Philippians chapter 2, may we see that all the more and remember that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And today we are here to proclaim that, to learn about that, to study that as we begin this new year together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever seen anybody out of context? And what I mean by that is you go to the grocery store and all of a sudden you stumble onto your teacher. And it kind of just, it's, it's paradigm shifting. It throws you through a loop a little bit. You're like, wait, you're here at the grocery store. I just thought you lived at the school. You ate, breathed, and just stayed there all the time. Or maybe I've seen it in your face when you see me out in public as a pastor. You see someone, and you're like, well, look at the pastor. He's actually at the grocery store, actually at the football game, or what? Here, there, and everywhere, right? I mean, it kind of just shifts things for you. Like, whoa, it takes you a step back. I remember as a kid uh, that happening multiple times. But as a young adult, one of the bigger ones for me was when I started working at the hospital that my dad worked at. Um, I was 18. He was a physician there and still is. And he, <laughs> I, I kid you not, I went there one day for my first time and we, he took me to, to work there a few times um, in the car. I saw the shift happening, but when I saw him finally, you know, kind of midway through the day, we passed and at that moment, he was not my dad. He was Dr. Thomas Marnesian. And the mind base, and, and I mean, he was wearing the whole, you know, medical doctor lab coat and the tucked in shirt and the slacks and the button tie and everything like that. And I was like, wow, this is a stark difference from what I see my dad in, in morning and night and everything like that. And I just saw this, this shift. And I was always so proud, so proud. And it was hard for me not to use the whole power like, you know, that's my dad here. And I'm, <laughs> watch out, don't say anything to me, you <laughs> know. Um, but I saw that mindset shift. I saw the, the, the way that he approached work and everything like that. And again, he had a 30 minute drive to and from, and I just knew that in those 30 minutes, the ramping up and then the decompressing was happening and he was changing his mind. One from dad to doctor, back from doc to dad and husband. We talk about mindset a lot these days. And I had the question, what is the popular mindset of the day in the U.S. right now? I think it's honestly one of self-affirmation, one that tells you to go with your gut because who you truly are deep down inside, it could never be wrong. I think of the song by Aloe Black. It's called The Man, and he says repeatedly, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. You can tell everybody that I'm the man. I used to listen when I worked out at the gym to pump myself out. Talk about mindset. Anyways, those days are gone. Or Taylor Swift reminding us that if you have any haters, just shake it off because they aren't right anyways. The implication there is that they couldn't ever be right. Or as Ethel Kane in her song American Teenager this year, reflecting on her religious upbringing, says, I do what I want. 
crying in the bleachers, and I said it was fun. I don't need anything from anyone. It's just not my year, but I'm all good out here. We're told to put ourselves first. You do you. I'll do me. Just leave me be. Self is first, usually at the detriment of all others. So my question for us is, does the popular mindset, though, fit the script for the Christian? Are we allowing a non-Christian mind to dominate our lives? Are we possibly letting our needs, wants, and loves be the only thing, leaving out the other? Do we think too highly of ourselves? Maybe not. But I think if I'm anything like the rest of us, we sometimes do. So my, again, my question for us this day is, what is the proper mindset for the Christian? What is the proper mindset for the Christian? And let me briefly explain what I mean by mindset. It's sort of like a soundtrack. The background thoughts that dominate our lives and shape us subconsciously for better or for ill. Right? We all know that a good or bad soundtrack can make or break a movie or an experience in our life. You've gone on that road trip and you've prepared the soundtrack for it. Right? Or you have your gym playlist that you go and you listen to. So again, what soundtrack, what, what mindset is the one that Christians are to have? Well, the way that we're going to answer that is by looking at Philippians chapter 2, as Isaac just read. We'll look at the problem that Paul talks about, but then we'll also find that there is a solution that is offered right there in the text. And finally, we'll close with some application. So jump in with me as we start the new year with a short two-week mini-series from Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, open your Bibles and turn there with me. Philippians chapter 2. And as I said, we're going to start with the problem. And as we'll see, it is naturally we are bent towards ourselves. We are naturally bent towards ourselves. That's the problem. Again, Paul starts off in Philippians chapter 2, writing to the church in Philippi reminding them after they've just talked about suffering in the previous first few verses that if there's any encouragement, any comfort and love, any participation, any affection and sympathy, Paul's asking, be complete my joy by being of the same mind. Be one, be unified, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul is, is asking them to do these things because the implication is it's there. There should be comfort and encouragement in Christ. There should be affection and sympathy. There should be unity in mind. Not complete, like we all have to think the same thing and walk the same way and do the same march. But Paul is saying there should be a general unity amongst us. We should have that same love too. And he's reminding them that though, because we often don't remember those things. These things, they exist but in Christ, but often we're discouraged, not encouraged. We forget the riches that are there in Jesus. Instead of comforted and, and, and foundation-based, we're shaken. We're alone. We're cold. And we're divided. Those moments can easily happen in our lives where we forget the goodness and the riches that exist in Jesus that he has given to his church, the gathered body of his people. May we never forget that in Jesus, we do have com comfort. We do have encouragement. We do have love. We are able to participate in the, in, the, in, the, in the spirit. We are to have affection and sympathy towards one another. And we should be 
of the same mind, having the same love, and again, being in full accord and of one mind. But the problem is we often are not. And it's worse because the problem is even further exemplified in verse 3. It says in verse 3, look with me. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Pause there. Two words that need explanation. A selfishness. Again, what we're kind of getting at here in the Greek text, but also kind of in our own translation, is it's a self-interest, especially at the expense of others. That would be that selfish ambition where we're trying to make our way in this life, climb the ladder, so to speak, again, at the expense of others. How many of you have seen the movie Elf? But it made me think of this, where Elf, um, it's Buddy the Elf has a biological father named Walter Hobbs. And he was the guy that came to my mind for selfishness. He was in the ladder at his book, uh, at his bookseller in production agency, climbing the ladder. And what we find once Buddy stumbles in chaotically into his life is that his life is a mess. He doesn't have a great relationship with his wife and definitely not his son. He's climbing the ladder and they are left behind. And so what happens is we're we have a selfish ambition and tendency in our lives, much like Walter Hobbes, maybe in the same way, but often in pursuing our own selves and our own ambitions and our own ways and again, making it, so to speak, we can sometimes leave chaos in our wake. Paul's telling us, don't be selfish, especially at the expense of others. And don't be conceited. Don't be vain. Don't think too highly of yourselves is another way that is translated. Again, the idea here is it's empty glory. What you think your own glory, you actually have no weight behind it. You've got nothing there. Don't think too highly of yourselves, Paul's saying. Don't be conceited. Again, I thought of an example for this. Um, I love to read to my son, Theo, and we read often a book called The Little Blue Truck. How many of you have read that or seen that or heard of that? It's maybe a little new. I have a picture here of who I think is a little conceited, who has empty glory. There's the dump truck, the foil character in the book, right? And there's little blue truck and all of his animal friends just kind of zooming, or sorry, slowly meandering through, and he's saying hi to everybody. Then all of a sudden, the dump truck comes barreling through. Honk, yelled a dump truck, coming through. I have big important things to do. I haven't got time to pass the day with every duck along the way. That's usually how I say it for my son, too. (laughs) You got to do the voices when you're reading, right? is the dump truck gets stuck in the mud. And he finds that on his way to do big, important things to do, he still needs the help of others. And his thinking too highly of himself was really, really true because, again, you'd expect a heavy dump truck with big tires and a weighted back would be able to zoom through the mud no problem. And instead, he gets stuck. And all of a sudden, all the animal friends and the little blue truck come to push him out and save him. It's, again, one of my favorite books. You should read it (laughs) if you haven't. Uh, But the dump truck is one who thinks too highly of himself. We can tend to do that too. It's easy. It's natural. How many times have we allowed ourselves to fall into that where, again, we compare ourselves to others and think, well, at least I'm not like them. And we puff ourselves up. And again, really don't have much behind this glory that we have. 
Again, the theological principle, the, 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 the problem behind this is that we're all bent towards selfishness. We're all bent in on ourselves where we're supposed to have arrows that go out from us to others and to God. Those arrows are often bent in on us. From the beginning, we have a word for this. It's a sinful nature. Instead of listening and obeying to God in the garden, we wanted to be like God. And we chose the path of eating the fruit and destruction and death, as we read from Romans. And that's repeated cyclically, time and time again, through all humanity. We're sinful, we're broken, we're bent in on ourselves. And again, though, we, we like to justify ourselves. Because again, we compare ourselves to others and we think, so, well, yeah, yeah, but Pastor Nick, I give to others. I, I, I think of others. I, I do. I'm not, I'm not that selfish, and I, I pray that we're not. But I think we sometimes overinflate it, and we justify things. Again, we, we justify our giving, but a question could be, well, how painless and convenient is our giving of our time, money, and our resources? Again, I think of others. I, I, I reach out to friends often, I try and give family time, but how quickly those things are turned into selfishness, where reaching out to all my friends and, and to acquaintances and things like that is not just, I want friendship, but I want networking opportunities, or how often our family time is something where, well, I just don't want people to think ill of my parenting someday, and I want to be able to boast about how my parenting has been done. Again, the problem is we're naturally bent towards ourselves. We're selfish. We think too highly of, of ourselves. But there is a solution. There is a solution to the problem. And Paul is going to unpack that here. Verse 4, the application for this first movement and really for the, the, the beginning of the solution is this. Let each of you look not only his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So here's what Paul is saying. Don't neglect yourself. Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. Take care of the people you need to in life. But look out for the interests of others too. Look out for the interests of others too. And really the completion of verse 3 was this. But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Again, don't falsely consider others better than you. It's, again, not the estimation of them that you're thinking of, but in your caring for them and putting them and their needs ahead of your own. Again, that's part to be a Christian, is we aren't so centered on ourselves, but also others-focused too. Again, the dominant mindset, as I mentioned at the beginning, is take care of yourself. Me, myself, and I, I've got to do it. Just forsake all others. But as a Christian, we have our eyes lifted higher than just ourselves. And because of the power of the Spirit working in us, we can, by God's grace, look out for the interests of others too. We care for them, putting their needs and their time and the love that they need ahead of our own. Again, the solution is to look for the interests of others. Verse Five, as I read, um, or so as verse five, as I read, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
which we begin to see the further application of the solution. I like the, the way the NIV translate it, translates it. In your relationships with another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Again, a quick simple example of this is when you're caring for in the end of others, one way that we do this, again, Paul's writing to a church, a gathered uh, group of people. One way that you look out to the interests of others is very simply by tithing to churches, to organizations, to this church, right? Tithing is looking out for the interests of others, not just yours. You multiply the impact and the gift that you could give. Again, sometimes it hurts to give thousands of dollars annually that you could put towards a really nice vacation or put towards uh, whatever it might be. But you look out for the interests of others when you tithe to your church. Again, look out for the interests of others. And here's, again, further how we do it. Paul puts this contrast in our, in our Bibles. Again, verse 6, look with me. Though he was in the form of God, talking about Jesus, though he was in the form of God, he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but empty servant, being born in the likeness of men. There's a lot to unpack here, and I'm going to try and do it quickly. But it says that Jesus was in the form of God. And basically what Paul is getting at here is he's saying he's the very nature, in very nature God. We talked about this last weekend. The NIV translated that, translates it that way. And what it's saying is he is a type or variety of something. Just like a sponsorship is a form of am, av, advertising. Jesus is of the same kind, the same essence, nature of God. He's the son of God. Again, let's do a thought experiment. If, if there's a father and then the son, if there's God the father and then the son, if we just allow ourselves for a moment to, to think that God the father could pass away, who would be worthy enough to ascend the throne and lead after him? His very own son. And to do that and to do that well and to fit the same mold that the father has, the son needs to be of the same kind, of the same essence in very nature, God. That's what Paul is getting at here. That in his pre-existence, Jesus had it all. It was not empty glory, but full of glory. Being in the very form of God was Jesus. Even though he had that, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's, this is a hard relation type thing here in the New Testament, but let me try and explain it. It's basically saying it's not a matter to be seized upon, to be used or taken advantage of. And what it's really saying, I think, is at the core of who God is, he's not grasping or seizing or selfish in contrast to the other kings and gods. He's different. So, he who could have had everything, who could have come in with all the glory, all the might, all the power, made himself known, he did not. But how did he do it? Came in the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He emptied himself, it says. There's a lot of ink that's been spilled about these things, but basically, it's a metaphor. He poured himself out by taking the form of a slave. It's the antithesis to empty glory. I like the way the KJV translates it. He made himself of no reputation. He who came, who could have come with all the glory in the world, instead came in the form, as we just celebrated, of a baby. 
in Bethlehem. Not in a palace, not with grandeur and might as we'd expect of other kings and lords. He came from the bottom. He came from the top to the bottom. Again, it's kind of like an undercover boss situation. Maybe you've seen some of those instances uh, in video clips or watched the TV show. The CEO comes and comes down and tries to uh, figure out how to like better the organization and everything like that. And uh, they're they're undercover, so to speak, and they put on guys and all these other things and whatnot uh, to kind of make their way through. And it's just laughable sometimes the way that people treat the CEO or or whatever and anything like that. Um, again. There's a parallel to Christ. He who was the king was spat upon. A crown of thorns was put upon his head. He was broken and bloodied on our behalf as we just remain in communion. Again, Jesus took the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men, a.k.a. humans are servants of God's and ultimately as God. We are called servants of Christ when we become Christians. So the, the, the crazy, staggering part of this is that he who was instead served others. Even so, to the point of washing of his disciples. And in fact, he went even further. It says, that he humbled himself after being found in human form by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He, for whom death wasn't even a category, he even died the humiliating death of crucifixion by being obedient to his father's plan. Again, Christ reveals to us the very nature and character of God. He's self-giving and interested in us. Not caught up in his own might and glory. But perhaps you've heard this though. I thought God was jealous and hungry for glory. I've heard that. Maybe you've heard that too. So how do we reconcile God being self-giving and interested in us, but also caring about his own glory and being jealous. It says that multiple times. He is a jealous God in the Old Testament. How do we reconcile those two things? Well, yes, I would say God is jealous, but when we use the word jealous, we often use it in a negative sense, but the word jealous can mean more things in a different way and in a positive way, right? We even have that in our, in our own language with the word jealousy. Merriam-Webster says that it can be as zealous vigilance or Oxford Dictionary will say that it has a sense of fiercely protecting, protective of one's own rights or possessions. Again, think of uh, that for zealous vigilance in the aspect of marriage. In marriage, as a picture of Christ in the church, we see in the New Testament, jealousy, like that zealous vigilance, is a good thing. It's something worth protecting. Come into marriage, it's something worth protecting. And it's a natural bar love and God's love. Again, what I want us to to remember here is that we need to be staggered. Be staggered at the core of who God is. Yes, he is zealous to protect his own glory. But 
in Jesus Christ see the core of who he is. He is love, a self-giving God, who though he had it all, again started out in the form of a servant, obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. So that is the solution. The solution is to look out for the interests of other, which is what Christ did. The problem is that we're selfish. The solution is that Christ showed us the way through his life, death, and resurrection to look out for the interests of others too. God didn't stay enthroned high above, laughing down at humanity, letting us muck around in our own filth and mud. He took on flesh and dwelt among us that we might be made right with him. Let us never forget that. The solution is to look out for the interests of others too, just as Jesus did. Let me end up wrapping up with an application that I'll spend a few minutes on. I want us to assume the mindset of Christ. I want us to have a different mindset, the mindset that we find in Jesus, right? So again, I want you to assume the mindset of Christ and really kind of that soundtrack of Christ, but how do we do this? How do we do this, though? Well, first we have to remember who Christ is. Look with me at verse 9. Verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So he has been exalted. The way that we assume the mindset of Christ is first remembering our place and remembering who he is. He is Lord and he has been exalted. Again, this isn't not necessarily a reward for what Christ did, but it's a vindication as God's yes to this, to what Jesus did. God highly exalted him by giving him, by gracing him with the name. It's the highest honor and degree. I, I had the thought, it's like the medal of honor, but here's the difference. It's not necessarily put on him as a new thing. It's just revealed. Again, Christ was exalted, humiliated, and then exalted again after his death and resurrection. And the medal of honor was already there. But after his death and resurrection, we see that it was revealed that he was to the highest degree, Jesus. And at his name now, every tongue will confess and every knee should bow. Again, the thing that we need to keep in mind here too though is that there's more going on to this passage for what it means by Jesus has the name and what, what it means uh, every knee would bow in heaven on earth. And I have a comparison here if you want to throw that for me, Izzy, from Isaiah 45, 21 through 23. This is, a, this is what's called an illusion, a textual illusion that Paul is using borrowed language from the Old Testament in Isaiah 45 to say who Jesus is now. Declare, so this is again God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was I the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a savior. There is none beside me. Turn to me and be saved for all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And lastly, by myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Paul is using this borrowed language from Isaiah 45 to bring it into reality with 
Christ. That he who had the name, he who had the, the knee bow and the tongue confessing and swearing allegiance in the Old Testament, which was God, Yahweh, and, and Israelites didn't even say the name Yahweh, and we think that's what it is. They, they said Adonai because they couldn't say the name. It was too holy, too precious. It was too risky to say it. And so now here, Jesus, given the name, he's given Lord, the name Lord, above and over all. So here's Jesus, given the name that was not to be spoken. He's Lord. Again, when you see in your Old Testament, capital L-O-R-D, Lord, behind that is the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And so he who was talking there in uh, Isaiah 45 is now got lordship to Jesus in his name. And so again, at the end of it all, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The allegiance that Yahweh commanded is Jesus's too. And again, we have to remember that every tongue, uh, or sorry, every knee will bow. Uh, so here, let me read it again, actually. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He's covering those who would be angelic beings, those that would still be alive and those who have already died. And every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everybody will confess that. Whether stiff-necked or in loving allegiance, everybody will confess that Jesus is Lord. And we never forget that. I have three questions for us to wrap up this application for your, for your mindset, your new sound speak. As we start this new year, again, maybe some of us are doing resolutions, maybe some of us aren't. I want to ask a few things. What's your mindset for Sundays? This will, this will be more addressed next week as we cover the, the latter half of the passage, but what's your mindset Sundays? Again, Paul is speaking to the church in Philippi who gather around the, the, to worship and to sing praises and to take communion, much like we do to this day. He's addressing a church body of people. He's reminding them, when you're gathered together as a church, look out for the interests of others too. And here we are gathered today together as a church body. So my question for us is what's our mindset when we're coming on Sundays? Is it me, myself, and I to check the box? To just get in and get out? What, what, what's our mindset? I don't plan to know your mindset. Only God knows. But here's the other thing I want to remind us of as we start this new year. All the careless words that you speak will be accounted for. All the thoughts that you have will one day be accounted for by that very same Lord and Jesus that every knee will bow to and every tongue will confess. Our thought life matters too. Our mindset matters too. And so we come together as a church body reminding ourselves that we're not to look out for just me, myself, and I, but for the interests of others too. So my first question was this, what is your mindset for Sundays? Secondly, what's your mindset for your relationships? Are they just simply utilitarian? I'm doing this for networking. I'm doing this so that I, so that I can uh, climb the ladder at work. I'm, these, these other things. What's your mindset for your relationships with your family, your kids, your spouse, your friends, wh whatever it might be? 
What's your mindset for them? Is it more selfish, interested in the other? It's a question for us to focus on and think about this new year. And then lastly, what's your mindset for yourself? And your thoughts, are they pretty just concerned with yourself? C.S. Lewis was said to have uh, stopped keeping a journal after he became a Christian because he just realized that as he tried to like experiment, like what are my thoughts? He was focusing on himself so much so often that he was like, man, this is, this is hopeless. I'm not saying that's the case for us. We do genuinely think about others and care for them. But again, we're, we're, we're fighting ourselves often in our thought life. And let me just say, there, there is a way to have a negative soundtrack about yourself. If you beat yourself up, if you're hard on yourself, <clears throat> if you think you're a worthless piece of trash, remember that is not the case. Jesus Christ died for you, for all of us here, and counted you worth it. He looked out for your interests too. Don't ever forget that. So change your mindset with yourself. See yourself as somebody in Christ. Don't see yourself as the somebody in Jesus. So what's your mindset for yourself? What's your mindset for Sundays, your relationships, and yourself? Again, the proper Christian mindset is that of Christ. Looking out for others too. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this morning and the goodness that you have given to us in your word. And the church of Philippi receiving this letter from the apostle Paul telling us that we are to be like Jesus, who though he had everything, who though he was on the top, he came down to the bottom to be with us. He made himself of no reputation so that he might look out for the interests of us. And again, the problem centered. We are so bent in on ourselves that we've forgotten the, 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 the gravity of the problem that Jesus came to fix. Help us to not be selfish and conceited. Help us instead to look out for others and consider them Better than, himself, better than ourselves to care for them in our estimation of them. May we see them as brothers and sisters in Christ. I need them and they need me. Let us all remember that at the end of the day, we will all confess that Jesus is Lord, that we will bow before our maker. Let's lean into that reality as we start this new year. Let's lean into a new humility, remembering our place and remembering others. It's in Jesus' name that we pray today. Amen. Let's sing into that truth. Could you stand? Take the word.